The lesson this morning is from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 6, 11 to 16, and 23 to 24. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat fat, you clothe yourselves with, with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from their the countries, and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand flees because a hired hand cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. 
Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. To remain standing, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word through which you speak and reveal yourself to us. I pray in light of that truth that I as preacher just get out of the way, far less of me and far more of you, that your people gathered would be edified, your son Jesus glorified, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? The failure of shepherds to care for the sheep. It's grievously one of the most common storylines about the church that we see in the news. The failure of shepherds to care for the sheep. It's a storyline that threads its way through the tragic legacy of harm in the residential schools. The child abuse scandals that rock the Roman Catholic Church. A noxious mix of misogyny, celebrity culture, and abuse of power that have marked many notable communities the last decade. Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill, Seattle. Bill Hybels of Willow Creek, Chicago. Carl Lentz of Hillsong, New York City. It's the grievous failure of shepherds to care for the sheep. This is not something that just happens back then and over there and with stories that hit the news. This is something I expect that hits many of us. One of the common stories I hear here at Little T more than any other community that I've been to are stories of the ongoing healing that has been needed after being under the care of a destructive shepherd or part of a spiritually abusive community. A story that led many in search of another community. I remember being a part of a public conversation where this reality was being discussed and someone shared that they were engaged in ongoing counseling to find healing for being a part of one of these spiritually abusive communities and they shared publicly what their counselor had said to them. He said, these communities have put my kids through school. A grievous failure of shepherds to care for the sheep. Reflecting on such realities rightly stirs us up with deep sorrow, but also a desire for justice, for wrongs to be righted, for comfort, healing, and wholeness for those who have been impacted, for God to speak clearly and decisively into the midst of it. In our text today, Jesus is right in the middle of just such a reality. He's just healed a man born blind, accomplishing it in a way that egregiously, decisively, and flagrantly violated the customs and traditions of the religious leaders. He stirred them up in anger and exposed the darkness of their way of being, their rule-keeping over people-keeping, their focus on religious practice over mercy, their serving of themselves rather than their people. They terrorize the man's parents, 
They insult and diminish him, and then they cast him out of the synagogue, in a sense, cutting him off from the economic, political, and social life of his community, leaving him far more destitute than he was before. Jesus has brought to light the grievous failure of shepherds to care for the sheep. And now here is Jesus. On the one hand are these shepherds, the Pharisees. On the other hand is the most recent example of their dereliction of duty, this man born blind that they've cast out of the synagogue. And for an entire chapter, Jesus speaks about Middle Eastern shepherding practices. We think to ourselves, come on, Jesus. These Pharisees need to be called to account. This man needs comfort and and hope for the future, not some obtuse parable. But indeed, he has given the word that is needed. In these few verses, Jesus both confronts the shepherds and comforts the sheep. It is both a hard word and a soft word that not only speaks into this situation of the brutal care of these shepherds of their sheep, but also invites all of us into the new life of a deeper trust in Jesus. So a hard word, a soft word, and an invitation to us all. So first, the hard word, the word of confrontation. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. A good is a, is a contrast word, right? I am good as opposed to. He's contrasting. You see, the image of shepherd and sheep is deeply ingrained in the Old Testament scriptures. Most notably, in Ezekiel 34, the lesson that Caleb just read for us. It's been our first reading for the last couple of weeks. And the prophet here is calling out the religious, political, and community leaders of Israel saying to them, you were called to shepherd the people of Israel, to lead them into safety and prosperity, to bind up the wounded, to feed the hungry, to seek out and save the lost. But you've fleeced the sheep to clothe yourselves. You've killed the fat ones to feed yourselves. You've treated them harshly and you've scattered them to the winds. But then the prophecy turns from that word of judgment To God compassionately saying to his people, caught under the injustice of these shepherds, there's going to come a time where I myself will come and shepherd my people Israel, where my servant David, the Messiah, will come and shepherd the people and do the good your shepherds failed to do. That's where the prophecy gets rather confusing, right? Because it begs the question, is it God who will shepherd his people or is it Messiah that will shepherd his people? And that only begins to make sense here in John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Not only is he calling down judgment upon these Pharisees, but he's also declaring himself both God and Messiah. It's no wonder then, That at the end of it, the Pharisees try and discredit him. Don't listen to him. He's got a demon. He's insane. For he's calling down judgment. And he's declaring himself both Lord and Messiah. Calling them, verse 12, hired hands who care nothing for the sheep. They're only in it for the money and the power. And he 
has now come to remove and replace them as shepherd. To the Pharisees then, this is a hard word, a word of confrontation. So how then should we personally hear this word? Well, some of us here are leaders. We're called to be shepherds of those under our care, whether by virtue of our jobs, our role in the family, our those we employ, or the decisions we make that have an impact on others. And I think this passage invites us, then, to honest self-reflection. How am I shepherding the people under my care, guiding, leading them? Am I serving myself, or am I serving others? Am I taking the easy way out here, or am I pressing in to hard places for the sake of others? Not only does this invite us to honest self-reflection, it has a word to say to us corporately as a church. There's often a posture in the church as a whole that when a shepherd grievously mishandles this sacred duty, they just kind of sweep it under the rug to hide it away for fear that it will tarnish the reputation of the church and thus undermine the work of God in their midst. But such a posture often allows the abuse to continue. And it actually runs counter to the work of the good shepherd here. As Jesus' work is to expose, to confront, and to invite to repentance. So if you're here this morning, and part of your story is being harmed by a destructive shepherd or being part of a spiritually abusive community, know this. Jesus is showing us here that his role as good shepherd is to expose, to confront, to call to repent. And it may not happen in the way or in the timeline that we would want it to, but he is absolutely committed to that work for our sake. I am the good shepherd. Is on the one hand a hard word, a word of confrontation, but on the other hand, It's a soft word, a word of comfort. I am the good shepherd. Good is not only a contrast word, it's also a descriptor, right? When we say someone, she's a good doctor, we're speaking of their their capabilities, their effectiveness, their skills in their work. But the word that Jesus uses in this text to repeatedly call himself good is a word that means lovely. It goes beyond competency and capability and skill, though it is that, to include sympathy, graciousness, kindness, gentleness, loveliness. Oh, and what a picture of qualitative loveliness Jesus paints for us here. Verse 14, I know you, I know you. This week I read Philip Keller's book on the 23rd Psalm. It's the Shepherd's Psalm. And Philip, for many years of his life, was a shepherd, and he reflects on this biblical image from his years of experience. And he shares just how well shepherds would know their sheep. He tells the story of a fellow shepherd who sold four lambs to a neighboring shepherd. One day, years later, they were traveling together by train, by this field, and instantly, 
the shepherd could pick out the four sheep that he'd sold to that shepherd as lambs. Sheep knows his own. The shepherd, rather, knows his own. But Jesus stretches the image to the limits. I know you as the Father knows me perfectly, fully, no limitation. Jesus is saying, I know you. I know the roads you've had to travel. I know the pains you've had to suffer. I know the dreams you've dreamed, the wounds you long to have healed, the brokenness you desperately try and hide. I see behind the masks you wear. I see beyond the self you want others to see. And I see the real you. The you you don't want anyone else to see for fear that they will pull away. I know you. I know you right the way down. And instead of the rejection you fear, you are the treasure I hold dear. For you, verse 14, are my own. You're my treasure. You see, for the shepherd, his life was was wrapped up in the sheep. His wealth wasn't in the bank, it was in the sheep. His future not in the stock market, it was in the sheep. His treasure not in a safety deposit box, it was in the sheep. His wealth, his life, his value was so wrapped up in those sheep that then when they were out in the wilderness at night, he would stick them in a cave or in a crevice of the rock and then he would sleep at the only access point. He would literally lay down his life between his sheep and the predators in the wilderness in search of food. And if that predator came, he would fight it off at the risk of his life. Such was the value of the sheep to the shepherd. But again, Jesus stretches the image here. For Jesus doesn't just say that he risks his life for the sheep. He says he lays down his life for the sheep. I so value, so treasure, so love you that I give my life for you. The laying down of his life doesn't just express the depth of his love. The shepherd were to say to his sheep, I want you to know just how much I love you. He started running as fast as possible to the edge of the cliff and then leapt off to his death. That expression of love, while dramatic, would have no positive impact on the sheep whatsoever. Very often we reflect on Jesus' love for us, that he gave his life for us in that way. See that he loved you so much that he died for you. But his death is not just the expression of his deep love, though it is that. His death was purposeful. The sheep were in real danger, real threat, and his death changed that. I give my life for the sheep Verse 17, so that I. It has purpose. I give my life so that I. Jesus looks through the cross to the resurrection. I die your death that I might give you life. I take your sin that you might be forgiven and free to walk the way of righteousness. I take upon myself the fury of the forces of darkness that I might flood the earth with my love, my presence, the beauty of new creation. Think for a moment of the impact of those words on this blind man passed out of the synagogue or anyone who has 
been under the destructiveness of a shepherd. I know you. I know you right the way down. And I treasure you. I love you to the point of giving my all for you so that I, so that I might take my life up again and open up an entirely new future, not only for you, but for the entire world. And I invite you into my fold under my tender care. Now that's an invitation that was not only heard by this blind man, it was heard as well by the Pharisees. To them, it's an invitation to repentance, to turn from their way of darkness and come into his fold. And we hear that by the end of it, because of these words, it it divides them. Some want to know more. Who is this? And others, they're trying to discredit him. Don't listen to him. He's got a demon. He's insane. And I suspect the words, verse 16, I have sheep not of this fold, would have cemented that division. Whereas Orvin said last week, these Pharisees had very clear sense of who was in and who was out of the community of faith. It was drawn along racial lines. The, the Jews in, everyone else is out. It was drawn along lines of right belief and right practice. If you do these things, believe those things, you're in. If not, you're out. I have sheep not of this fold, says Jesus. I must bring them in also. I'm forming a new community, not defined by race, not defined by right belief or right practice, but defined by the shepherd, defined by my voice, defined by my work, defined by my grace and love. Am I suggesting that right belief and right practice aren't important? Absolutely not. They are vital and we must hold on to them. But if Jesus is not central, If his grace and love doesn't anchor us, if the gospel is not what defines us, then right belief and right practice often get weaponized to destructive ends as they did in this story. I am the good shepherd is on the one hand a hard word, a word of confrontation. On the other, it's a soft word, a word of comfort that not only is applicable in this situation of the grievous failure of shepherds to care for the sheep, it also invites all of us into a new life of deeper trust in Jesus. There are a lot of images in the Bible used to express our relationship with God, right? It is as a father to a son, a bridegroom to a bride, a king to a servant, And each of those images communicates something to us about who we are, who God is, and how to live in relationship with him. So what are the the central truths of this shepherd and sheep metaphor? I think the, the primary truth of the image for us is that sheep are utterly dependent upon their shepherd. Without a shepherd guiding their lives, the sheep will surely die. Without a shepherd to direct them to green pastures and show them what to eat, the sheep will eat poisonous plants and die. Without a shepherd directing them to protected springs, a sheep will drink from contaminated water sources. 
or in areas that if there's a turn of the weather can become incredibly dangerous. Without a shepherd, a sheep will turn over to scratch an itch and become what is called cast. They won't be able to turn themselves back over without help and they'll die. Unlike other animals who when they get lost will either pull an old yeller and find their way home or successfully go feral, sheep will stay lost. And when the shepherd goes in search of them, they will often panic. The shepherd has to tackle them, bind their legs, and throw them over their shoulders and carry them back. That's a far cry from those sentimental images of Jesus carrying that cute, cuddly lamb on his back. The central truth of this image for us is that we are utterly dependent. Without the shepherd guiding our lives, we will never experience the fullness of life that he offers And while true, that should not be our starting point into this image. Accept that you're utterly dependent and receive his guidance. No, no, no. That's not the starting point. That's not how we're to enter it. It's not Jesus' starting point. Jesus wants the focus to be on him. Behold him, our good shepherd, who knows us, knows us right the way down, and treasures us, loves us to the point of death, a death that brings about an entirely new future for us, for our world. The emphasis is on him. Behold his goodness, his loveliness, his grace, and we have the safety, the security, the fertile ground to discover our utter dependence and move toward deeper trust in him. It begs the question, what does that deeper trust look like? What shape does it take? Well, years ago, the Navigators put out a a book on discipleship, and it was exploring just what it would look like for us to relate to God as sheep to a shepherd. In the book, they gave this great exercise. I think that would be profitable for all of us to do at at regular intervals. They said, write down a list of of every area of your life that you can think of. Political life, financial life, relational life, sex life, work life, recreational life, thought life. Write down every area of your life and ask yourselves two questions. First, am I willing to obey everything that God asks of me in this area? Second, am I willing to thank him for everything that he brings into this area? Look at every area of your life and ask, Am I willing to obey whatever he asks of me in this area? Am I willing to thank him for whatever he brings into this area? That's an absolutely terrifying prospect. Over the years, I've witnessed many people, myself included, come face to face with that call of discipleship, that utter dependence, and recoil in fear. What if he asks me to do something I don't want to do? to go somewhere I don't want to go, to give up something I don't want to give up. And again, our emphasis is in the wrong place. Behold him, our good shepherd, and hear his voice. I know you. I know you right the way down. You are my own. I treasure you, value you, love you to the point of death. A death so that I may take my life up again and open up an entirely new future for you, for the world, as I'm coming again to flood the earth 
with my love, my presence, the beauty of new creation. And so in light of who he is, how can we not obey in whatever he asks of us and thank him for whatever he brings to us? For he is our good shepherd. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.